Ladies and gentlemen, Letitiaes and Trippiers, welcome to Worldie. Right, welcome back to Every Goal a Worldie, and we are getting closer and closer to the World Cup, and I've got the dream team on the pod. We've got Shiz over there. Hello. We've got Andy. Hello. And we've got Jono. You all right? Yeah, well, I'm doing very well, and I'm very excited, because we are now creeping inexorably towards the first day of the World Cup 2018. Four days. Four days. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I, I am genuinely really excited now because all the World Cup news is starting to come through now, yeah. and like, and and it's kind of the World Cup news is starting to overtake the domestic football news. We're still getting the odd bit of signing here and there, yeah. but actually now it's about preparations and teams' preparations and stuff like that. Have so, you noticed that every advert on the television is now football related as well? Yeah, <laughs> I, I also like really like the um, and actually we'll tweet some of these out from the Worldie Pod. Um, uh, Twitter account, yeah. but there's some so all of the really really shit like non-official football tie-ins mm. on products around <laughs> yeah. the supermarket shelves. It's great. Nice, nice, nice. Like, I, I like, like the fact that all the teams are now arriving in Russia as well. I noticed Messi set foot on Russian soil earlier today, and set everyone's foot. extra excited. Wow. O- only people like Lionel Messi can set foot. <laughs> like, like everybody else just arrives, yeah. he sets foot. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna mark that spot. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so what what have we got? What's been what's been happening in the world? Have we got some exciting news? Well, well, one one thing that is probably worth mentioning is the fact that uh, FIFA seem to have uh, gone back on their promise to expand Qatar to forty eight teams. Oh, they haven't Hooray. they haven't they haven't gone back on their promise to do that World Cup because that yeah. would be even better. <laughs> not not yet. Not but, yet. But, so so the decision to to roll back on the forty eight team World Cup appears to be. Partly down to two concerns about the Qatar World Cup. Uh, yeah, and their their ability to host it. I think. Um, so th- I would have thought there should be concerns over their ability to host it at all. Well, yeah. quite yeah. of the number of teams. It's not in. It's not entirely out of question. This is step one, right? Yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. entirely True. out of question. This is True. step one to kind of let ease it in. Oh. Um, I, I, mean, would, I would. I would love it. Hold on a second. I will love it if we if they cancel the World Cup <laughs> in Qatar. They surely have to. They they surely have to. It, it's it's really weird, isn't it? Because because it's something like what fucking like a thousand people who've died um, yeah. building those stadiums. So so part of me, I mean, part of me thinks it's utterly outrageous that that, that a country where that can happen mm-hmm. should be hosting a major major international sports competition uh, like this. That logistically is extremely dangerous because they are just when you've got that many people coming to a country, it just is dangerous. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so I think it's bad enough in that respect. But there is also a tiny part of me. Part of me thinks that Jesus Christ, for those one thousand people to have died and it not to happen there. I know. Do you know what I mean? That's it just seems, true. Well, how fucking awful is that? If that, if you know, yeah. they basically died for absolutely nothing. It's bad times, um, isn't it? But but nevertheless, I still think common sense ought to prevail, um, and it, it 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 probably didn't ought to happen there. Well, maybe like you say, maybe this is the first step towards <coughs> that, which would be pretty cool. Another thing I heard in news, and somebody can correct me if this is if this is not true. But I think they announced uh, an official break, uh, winter break in the Premier League, to be happening in they February did. from now on. They did, yeah. So, um, yeah, essentially every team will get a period of two weeks 
off in February, they're going to stagger it. So over two consecutive weekends, there'll be five Premiership games, if you see what I mean. So one set of teams will get two weeks off, and then a week later, the other set of teams will start their two weeks off. Um, I I was thinking about this earlier, actually. Uh, It's obviously a big headline that people have been asking for for a long time, and of course this means we're going to win the World Cup that year and all that (laughs) stuff. Um, I kind of think that in terms of individual players, at that time of the season, most individual players, certainly the top ones where the the, the clubs are in multi multiple tournaments, they don't play every game anyway. I'm not sure it's that uncommon for a player to have 10 days to, to two weeks off on the odd occasion anyway. So I'm not convinced it's going to make an enormous difference, actually. Well, they, they don't, but you do see it in the teams with smaller squads. Um, they, they do often run out of puff in the second half of the season. So this might um, help help that side of things. It will benefit them, but I, I think the reason people always wanted this, well, one of the reasons was to benefit the national team, wasn't mm. it? And they're not the teams that are going to have players playing in the national team. But, I mean, I, I, it, it's a common thing done over all over Europe, so there's obviously good reason for it. I'm, I'm I think glad some of these... Trying. Some of these lads might have to look at playing in a proper division where you're playing, you know, 50-plus games a season before they start complaining about being overplayed. Yeah, can I can I have my rant on this you now, can, please? Yeah. Right, because it really, really, really knocked me off every single time Arsene Wenger mentioned this. And to be honest with you, I think it's hilarious that it's happened the first season that Arsene Wenger's <laughs> no longer in the Premier League. Um, that that re- absolutely delights me because the, these are these are clubs that have got basically two teams worth of international players on their books, right? The, the fact that they, they, they cannot stretch their squad to, 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 to meet the, the requirements of their, of, mm-hmm. of their tournaments. These are the people who want to play the ridiculously long, drawn-out group stages of the Champions League and the two-legged knockout stages of the, the Champions League. Um, when the, the lower leagues in English football, Leagues 1 and 2, both have 24 teams in there. So that is a... What is it? My maths are failing me. Um, 46 t- uh, game, game season. In, uh, and we have to play... We're in, we're in more cup tournaments... In the lower in the lower divisions, we have to start the cup tournaments at an earlier stage than, than the Premier League team. Finish the season later. Yeah, in um, in 2015-16, when Oxford United were promoted out of this uh, League Two and into League One, and we also got to the final in the uh, Johnson's Paint Trophy, and we did really well in the FA Cup as well. Um, Liam Sirkham, who is a League Two slash League One active, like really energetic attacking midfielder, started. 55 games of football and if Liam Serkham can do it it's fucking outrageous that Premier League players say they can't do it I'm really sorry I, that really 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 knocks me off Right. All right. also the, the League 1 and 2 level no no one complains about it either they're just well up for playing football all the time aren't they yeah. completely different mentality having, having said that um the way they're doing it with a staggered break seems perfectly sensible. I've, I've no real objections to it, to be honest with you. No, the way they're doing it seems like actually it's going to have very little yeah. impact on anything, which is just fine. So I think we want to move on and start talking about these groups. Last week we started to uh, review all the individual groups and get a feeling for uh, what we're expecting to see from them at the World Cup. And I think we are on to group E, is that correct, John? It is, which is me. And Jono, you're on Group E, so fill us in, like Craig David. So um, this group is probably all about Brazil. They'll they'll likely walk it. They're um, in a group with Switzerland, Costa Rica and Serbia. Um, if they don't win all three games, I'll be surprised, to be honest. Costa Rica played uh, England the other day. They did. Uh, not so good. 
Not great, but I mean, they did. They did um, with uh, what is essentially the same squad or a very similar squad um, get to the quarterfinal stage four years ago, winning yes. winning a group with Uruguay okay. and England in it. I, th- I think for that England game, Costa Rica had more or less only just flown over. I think. So okay. I think they they were they were probably a little bit off the clock. A li- I, I think Fair a bit. Enough. So I think that counted against them. But but. Let's also not take anything away from England because I thought particularly the first half. Well, all right, control yourself. <laughs> when I talk about because I've got England's group, okay, so sorry, we'll talk sorry. about the friendly then. Sorry. Control um, yourself. Having said that, um, mm. I think they are probably the weakest team in that group. Um, it's the the second spot is probably between uh, Serbia and Switzerland. Uh, you think Serbia have quite a good team, don't they? On paper, they certainly do. Very solid, um, good defence. If a little bit. Aging, yes, um, okay. Iv- Ivanovic um, at the back there, yeah. captain Subotic, uh, maybe. Um, and then they've got, I guess, um, they've got another lad up the field, haven't they? They've got some decent players. I think Mila Vojevic is also in the squad. Mila Vojevic, exactly. Um, but um, I think, um, I think for me, it's probably going to be between Switzerland and Serbia. Serbia maybe just doing enough um to get to get through uh, off the back of their solidity i think and um they'll probably pick up pick up um some points no no standout players from those smaller sides you're expecting um well switzerland have got uh what's his face uh granite shaka um of course um i've who, never rated him i've got a little a oh. little a little <laughs> Handy bit of information about okay. him um, in the Euro in the Euro two thousand six uh, hundred twenty sixteen. Um, in the sticker album, he was the first swap I got. Oh, oh there you go. That is great that worth knowledge. it, wasn't it? He's also named after a type of rock. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is pretty cool. What does he do? What does he do? So, no, in his defence, I think um, he hasn't done particularly well with Arsenal, um, but he he plays a very different role. Uh, oh, okay. For the national team, he plays a lot, a lot further forward, more like a, oh, okay. um, a number ten, uh, a Paul Scholes, yeah, something like that. Oh, so he's, yeah, he's uh, creating, he's darting into the box. Uh, we all know he's got a, a cracking strike on him as yeah. well. Okay, so he can he can hit him. Uh, I guess the other the other standout talent in that team, also um, Premier League based, uh, well. I guess on paper, actually championship based. Um, uh, it's Shakiri. Um, oh yes, yeah. Who might well definitely won't be at Stoke next season. You would yes. think. Yeah. Uh, far far too good for that that uh, division. I saw I saw talk of Liverpool. Mm. Saw talk oh, of I've, Liverpool. I saw. I've, I've heard that talk as well. I also heard talk of them buying that cheeky fakir. But I don't know if he's going to be around. Which, which apparently isn't going to happen. And it was, oh, it was, yeah. it was apparently based off his um, uh, his medical. Um, he didn't fail the medical, but they were concerned about a uh, uh, his his left knee. He had a, a fairly bad cruciate okay. ligament injury three years ago, which they're still a little bit concerned about. Okay, um, okay. So back back to your group just briefly. Yes. Um, Brazil, mm. are they genuine contenders for the World Cup? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think so. Um, we had some. We put a poll out on the on the Twitter mm. uh, this week, and we had some people saying that Brazil 
predicting Brazil to underperform. Mm. Well, you you could argue that they underperformed four years ago. Um, I think they struggled with the weight, the weight of anticipation, uh, the weight of a nation on their shoulders. This this time around, I think they're a, probably a better team. They're they're well drilled. Um, they've got a lot more uh, solid, solidity at the back, um, and I, I fully I fully expect them to do very well. Will they rely again on Neymar and then be in trouble like they were well, last time when he gets injured? That's that's again that's again something that they don't do. Uh, for example, they played Austria yesterday, spanked them three 0 Could okay. have quite easily been more than that um, and the goals came from uh, uh, Jesus Jesus Neymar and Coutinho so you can you can see there that they're probably the three best attacking midfield uh, okay. attacking players that is good news because in the in the last World Cup obviously before the big 7-1 defeat mm. they lost Neymar to a horrific mm. um, sort of bizarre injury mm. um, and it completely knocked the wind out of their sails and, and changed the team and the nation's uh, aspirations in an instant almost yeah it was it was actually reminiscent to the way that um, the the injury in the Champions League final uh, affected Liverpool um, in that it was their 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 talisman, their key player, mm. um, and it really knocked the stuffing out of out of Liverpool. And I think the same thing happened four years ago. Um, I saw Brazil. I think we mentioned this in the last pod actually, but I saw Brazil playing Croatia in a in a pre tournament friendly a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was Neymar's first game back for Brazil, obviously because right. he's been he's been out injured as well. Yeah. Um, they they looked pretty comfortable in that game. They didn't look like they got out of okay. maybe fourth gear, um, even though Croatia are a decent side and they were mm. working really hard. Um, but Neymar came on after I think about sixty odd minutes in that game, and they were utterly transformed when oh, he came right, on. Yeah. Absolute trans. Transformed when he came on. He, he is a special player. Everything. Here mm. it is. He is a special player. So, any more for any more from that group, John? Uh, or can you tell us then if uh, who what what you're predicting for the outcome? Well, as I said, I think Brazil will walk this. Um, there's, I don't, I don't think there's any chance of them not finishing top of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, as a as an outside bet, Costa Rica again, maybe. But I, I do think they're probably not got enough to, to get out of that group, which is which is not an easy group, but also not that difficult mm. either. I think I think um, I think Brazil will be fairly happy, and um, Serbia to take the second spot, and, and probably uh, it, it really is probably a toss up between Switzerland and uh, and Serbia. Mm, right, and that is Group E taken care of. Neil, I believe you're going to give us the latest on Group F now. I, I, I'm imagining Group F is 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 a stat-filled group. <laughs> well, based on what I've looked up, it is. Um, so <laughs> Germany, Mexico, Sweden, and Korea. So Ooh. firstly, Germany. I mean, we all know Germany. I'm not going to dwell on their squad because it, it it's full of good, you know, decent players. Um, in qualifying, they won ten out of ten games, which you know is hard to argue with. Um, not that dissimilar from England's record in qualifying. The big difference is in 10 games, England scored about 18 goals. Germany scored 43. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, but, wow. But even on top of that, um, their top scorer in qualifying was Thomas Muller with five. Um, they had a ton of players who scored three or four. So wow. goals all over the pitch. Mm. Um, I was looking at Germany's record in, in previous World Cups. They're obviously the holders. They've won it four times. Um, but this is this is pretty staggering. So there's been 21 World Cups. They didn't enter a couple of the early ones. They did not qualify. They just didn't enter. So they've been in 19 
19 World Cups, they've got to at least the semi-finals in 13 of those, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so we all say they're really good and solid and they do well, but, but you know, <laughs> proof that they do bloody well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, it, I think a, a uh, fool would, would, would sort of bet against a similar thing happening again, to be perfectly honest. And we've got to the semis twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yes, wow. I, did, I had not realised the number of goals they've been scoring in qualifying. That is quite yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also the number one ranked team in the world ahead of Brazil in second. So, so again, they'll go far. Um, Mexico, so the Mexico squad isn't a lot to shout about, really. The, the standout players are Hernandez, who's been around but is now at West Ham. They've got Giovanni Dos Santos and Carlos Vela, who, you know, players we know, they now play for the respective two teams in LA, so shows how their careers have sort of dipped a bit. Um, in qualifying, they, they won their uh, Central or CONCACAF, whatever it is, group of qualifying. They were in a group of Costa Rica and Panama, also the United States who didn't qualify, so a reasonably strong qualifying campaign. Um, in, in terms of their history, again, this this I was impressed when I read this. They've reached the knockout stage of the last six World Cups. Very um, good. So, mm. yeah, consistently good performers. I think one of the things that they, they talk about with Mexico is that their season finishes, I, th- I think I'm right in saying, their f- season finishes quite early in the year, um, and then the, the international team gets together quite soon after that, and then they have, like, two months together mm. as, as, as a team so they have significantly more preparation time as a team as a unit is training together so that they are a much better drilled side if you like um than most of the most of the other international sides so i think that works in their advantage and you know what for me mexico is a really exciting world cup team and every world cup i always get very excited when i see mexico on the fixture list because you just get a feeling there's something's going to happen and yeah. they're such a big tournament team and you only ever see them at the world cup so i get well excited whenever I see Mexico on there. They always have these small technical players as yeah. well. Little tricky yeah. players that, that you know play play some nice stuff at times. Yeah, Mexico versus anyone is a match I'm going to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to Sweden, the, the biggest story with Sweden, of course, is who wasn't in their squad rather than who is. So no, there'll be no Zlatan this summer. Um, the Sweden of perhaps 10 to 15 years ago, um, the squad was a lot better and you know a lot more bigger names than we seem to see nowadays looking through who they're taking to the World Cup um, the one that stood out was Seb Larsson but but he's playing at Hull nowadays so I'm not sure he's quite the player he was um, they've got a, a, a sort of splattering of English based players they've got Lindelof who's a Man United defender but, but by no means a first choice one they've got a defender called Janssen who plays for Leeds they've got a keeper who plays for Swansea but isn't first choice so th- there's not really any big names to shout about um, mm. They qualified second, so they finished second in the group behind France. They're in the group that also had the Netherlands in, so they finished level on points with the Netherlands. They went through to the playoffs by virtue of a better goal difference. I had a look through the results in qualifying, and a couple of results stood up, stood out as the ones that probably swayed the goal difference. So th- there are a couple of poorer teams in this group, Belarus and Luxembourg, and obviously most teams beat those teams three or four nil. Yeah. Um, so Sweden beat Luxembourg by eight. Um, And at the same time, Netherlands lost 4-0 to France. So they seem to be the ones that that sort of swung the goal difference in in, um, Sweden's favour. Sweden then went through to the playoff and they're the ones who knocked Italy out. So they won 1-0 at home and then got the 0-0 draw away. So an 
kind of impressive in qualifying in that they're they're responsible for Netherlands and um, and Italy not being at the World Cup. Yeah, so I think, I think in the past we, we we've associated Sweden with a much more dynamic and attacking style of football than they're playing right now. They seem to be a sort of uh, a compact and organised side rather than an exciting one, right? Yeah, um, this is the first time they've qualified since 2006 as well. Mm. Um, their their best showing at a World Cup was back in 58. Um, they lost in the final to um, to a Brazil team that included a 17-year-old Pelé oh. at the time. Um, they've come third. They came third in 94 and also came third in 50. So, I mean, generally not a particularly good record in World Cups. But yeah. as I say, they, they, they qualified fairly well given the group they were in. Hmm. Um, and then the final team is South Korea. So by far the lowest ranked team in this group um as as you expect um lots of asian based players barely heard of any of them the, the one excellent player in their squad is son who plays for spurs who who's, who's had a great season for he appears to be one of the standout players for spurs whenever nice he plays nice one sonny nice one son <laughs> yeah i think everyone's going to be excited to see him and i'm i'm also interested to see him in his international guise because i imagine he will be the focal point that everyone in that team is yeah, looking for. He'll, mm. he'll be heavily relied upon. Um, they've qualified for the past eight World Cups, and that they, whilst they finished fourth in 2002, I think it's sort of widely agreed that that was a bit of a manufactured finish. Um, mm. They normally go out in the group stages. And I, to be honest, I expect that to happen this time round as well. So I think Germany will win this group probably with ease, and then it'll be one of... Mexico and Sweden and Mexico versus Sweden is is the final game in this group Ooh, as well. That, that's already sounding tasty, isn't it? Yeah, and, and first and second in this group play first and second in the Brazil group. So they're all going to, you know, Germany but but all of them really are going to be desperate to try and win this group to avoid Brazil if they possibly can. Yeah. Any uh, standout players in that Germany side that you think might make this their World Cup? So they don't it, it's interesting. They don't really have any what I'd call superstars. So we mentioned Brandt, who's there instead of Sane. They've got the likes of Kadira, Cruz, Ozil in midfield, um, Gomez, Muller, Marco Royce up front. Um, so, you know, all very, very good players, but but no one of them stands out as being their sort of single match winner. I think they're just a really good functioning, you know, well-functioning, high-quality team all over, actually. I can't believe Mario Gomez is still in that squad. I mean, right. it's absolutely amazing. And they didn't take Timo Werner. Apparently the Germans have some issue with Timo Werner. Did they not take him? Um, and he's he's been sort of outcast a little bit, hasn't he? They're also not taking Mario Goetze, who scored the winner last time yeah. round. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure his career sort of stagnated almost immediately after that World Cup. Actually, he's, I'm not quite sure he's done anything since. Yeah, so he he's had a lot of issues, uh, um, both personal and uh, injury uh, related problems. So uh, I, he seems to be on the way back, um, but he's certainly not a young player anymore. I think he's twenty twenty six now. Um, back at Dortmund, where he um, where he sprung onto the scene as a as a teenager, Germany have quite recently relied on Miroslav Klose's goals in in tournaments over the last ten years, and obviously he's not there. So they are scoring goals from other areas of the pitch, which I'm sure for them is is a massive bonus. But I'm not. I can't imagine them having a you know six or seven goal <clears throat> tournament scorer like they had in in. In, uh, no, as in qualifying, I imagine they'll have a number of players who each score, you know, two or three goals. That that seems to be the way they operate. And I'm I, I, I'm not sure whether that's because they change the team around for, for for games quite a lot, or whether they just score literally score goals from all over the pitch. I'm not sure. So it'll be interesting to see how they play, um, and obviously who the goal scorers are. But I, I'm not, you know, no doubt that I think they'll they'll do well. 
Right, very nice indeed. I think Germany will definitely be uh, one for everybody to try and avoid for as long as possible out of those groups. And poten- potentially uh, England in the in the quarters, well, if, we, if we get that for Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, and so uh, we're going to take a little quick break and then we're going to come back with groups G and H. Frank de Boer speelt de bal. Heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp neemt de bal aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Frank de Boer speelt de bal naar Dennis Bergkamp. Die neemt de bal feilloos aan. En ik schiet de bal erin. We spelen nog officieel 20 seconden. Dennis Oh yes, one of the greatest bits of commentary ever. That was, of course, Dennis Bergkamp scoring against Argentina in the uh, what was it, nineteen ninety eight World Cup semi final. Honestly, I could listen uh, to that. Finals, I could listen to that again and again and it's again. It's beautiful, isn't it? It is that, beautiful. That was, that was one of the best goals, given given yeah. the stage yeah. and stage of the tournament, the stage of that game, who it was against. It was yeah. all absolutely unbelievable. I think it was in about it was in the eightieth something minute in the quarter final against Argentina, mm-hmm. wasn't it? I, it is one. I think it's one of the greatest goals ever scored. I agree. So we, um, we we mentioned in the pod after the Champions League final about Gareth Bale's goal and how a great goal needs to be relevant to the the context of the game. You know, mm-hmm. this, this is one of the so so when David Beckham scored from the halfway line, um, it, it was the third goal of a three nil win in second half injury time. You know, yeah. so zero pressure not to say it wasn't a good, clearly a, a, a good strike of the ball but but nothing like these guys who were score, scoring on the biggest stage so yeah it for me it was one of the best world cup yeah. goals ever and with incredible technique everything about that goal was just quite marvelous yeah i mean we'd seen him do it in the premiership a lot for arsenal but obviously smaller games against lesser opposition but but as i say on that stage against that team at that point in the game was just immense <laughs> right and talking about the biggest stage we're now going to talk about Group G, where we're going to be talking about some of the biggest teams in the World Cup. And by that, of course, I mean Panama and Tunisia. Yes, two very exciting, very exciting teams. Um, so Panama is going to be playing the first ever World Cup, which is very cool. Good for them. Um, and they are the first newcomers to qualify from the CONCACAF uh, since Trinidad and Tobago in 2006, who were also in England's group. Interesting. Yeah, so there you go. Um, Tunisia's only victory in their 12 World Cup matches came in 1978, when they defeated Mexico in what was probably not a very exciting game. Blimey. Um, and they were the first uh, ever... That was the first ever win by an African nation. Was it? Uh, on the global stage, which was pretty cool. Um, but those two sides, I'm not sure, are going to be offering uh, too much um, against uh, the two big boys in that team, uh, England and Belgium. However, uh, Tunisia were ranked as high as 14th uh, in the FIFA World Rankings in May, so they are not a bad side by any stretch of the imagination. I, th- I think they've recently won the uh, the African uh, uh, the African Cup of Nations, haven't they? I think they have, or well, they did very well, but they are sadly missing uh, their main midfield playmaker, Youssef Masakni, who is, I think, their main guy, their sort of go-to character in midfield, and he was injured in the lead-up to the World Cup, so he will not be there. So I think perhaps the Tunisia that we play now might not be the Tunisia that made 14th in the world earlier in the year. So I think I think that uh, Tunisia, well, I think they'll make a showing, but I think they'll struggle 
uh, to beat teams. I expect them to pick up a result against Panama, who I think, um, obviously being extremely small nation and the, their first time at the World Cup, will probably struggle to pick up any points. But we'll see how that goes. And of so course, when we played so Tunisia is our first game, um, and it's our sort of most southerly game as well, and and the place we're playing it at, I think, is averaging temperatures in sort of the mid thirties at the moment mm. so I think that may well impact that game and also the, the, the side we put out as well God it's going to be incredibly boring that what, match. What, what time does the kick off it's not it's not a midday one uh, is it? it's it's 7pm UK time um, so it'll be later into the evening yeah, Russia be, time so it so should be cooler help. yeah 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 so I think I think uh, there'll be a few matches there with those two sides trying to trying to reduce opportunities for their opposition shall we put it kindly Mm -hmm. um, in that respect and then of course looking at Belgium now Belgium have become the New England in in that they're in a golden generation and failing to produce any results are they still in it or are they sort of coming to the end of it now well I no I, I don't know I think because their golden generation started when a lot of those players were sort of like 19 and 20 years old but it's been the last five or six years and they've really failed to to go anywhere so you've got the likes of Lukaku and, and Hazard um, and Witzel and all those other players De Bruyne De Bruyne of course mm. uh, you know who only just missed out from being player of the season I think in the Premier League this year um, but they really are uh, struggling to put any kind of performances together that, that that do much on the international stage. I think, like England, they've qualified fairly straightforward. Um, but at tournaments, certainly in the last three, uh, they've really failed to impress. Do you think... And Do you think there is just, there's something about a, a, a national mindset um, in this? And I think, I think Spain suffered from it for a really long time as well, um, mm-hmm. and we do, where... There's no reason why we should be any better or worse, and in terms of players on paper, uh, yeah, on paper we should we should be doing okay. And teams like Belgium should be better than they are. When you look at Germany, um, and the same for Brazil, same for Argentina, they just do well every single, more or less every single time. And there's there's just some kind of inbuilt mentality. I, I just don't. I, I don't. If you could understand, if somebody could get to the yeah. bottom of that, it'd be a millionaire, right? I, I think one of the things that, that you do notice at the World Cup is that certain teams that are successful have an identity that you know about before the team even takes the field. We know what Brazil are like, we know what Argentina are like, we know what Germany are like, we know what France are like. And I think certain nations, and Spain had this for a long time, now Spain has an identity, but they really struggled with that for a very mm. long time. And I think. I think it's one of the things that England and Belgium really struggle with. What are they? What is their thing? What makes them a good good side? You and know? so, do you do you think that that is that is a mentality for them as they're they're getting on the pitch, or do you also think it, it might be both? Um, it's the mentality of their opposition. Effectively, everybody's scared to play Argentina and Germany and Brazil in the World Cup. Nobody's scared of playing England. No, quite. And I and I, Belgium. I, I think a lot of it actually comes down to the media. And you look at you look at Spain, England. They have very similar news medias for the sport uh, side of things and I think that does impact the side quite heavily and moving on to England uh, I think that's one thing this year that maybe sits in our favour is that the media hasn't quite yet ramped up to that vitriolic madness that we usually get at a tournament that ends up killing our momentum in a way so I think we're in a position now where expectations were lowered for quite a period before the World Cup and they've just started to to rise up now because we have some players in good form I, in, in likes of Harry I, Kane I actually hope that we don't 
play too well the first game because <laughs> yeah. if we win like 5-0 and playing yeah. exceptionally well uh, you know the media is going to go absolutely mental and think yes. we're going to win the world cup and then and then there's suddenly all this pressure at the moment it's it's a really good situation because you've got a fairly young squad gelling together um, playing reasonably well, but maybe not amazing. Um, but they they just don't they don't have a lot of pressure on on their shoulders currently. I mean, I I wonder. Obviously, the negative, the the extreme negativity um, that that comes from our media and has been reflected in the opinions of of English football fans over the last, I would say, eight or nine years. Um, has definitely had an impact on the, the the ability of of our team to play. I think I think against Iceland um, two years ago, that was just fear of failure. There was yeah. nothing else that was going on in that game because they had struggled against defensive teams already. They were they were against the most defensive team in the tournament, and they were they were absolutely terrified of of, of failure. And 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 I, and I genuinely think that's the case. I think. At this stage, once they're over there, I'm actually less worried about suddenly everybody being super optimistic and and, and stuff. As long as over there in their hotel with their coaches, with with Gareth Southgate, they're keeping their feet rooted on the ground. They're just saying that was only Tunisia. We've got a job. So to we do mentioned there. we mentioned this in the last pod, didn't we? How it's it, it's a shame that they've chosen a really isolated place as their base. But I think in this context, that that's going to help because they are in a bit of a bubble. They're not going to have any access to the media. The media is not going to be able to access them. Um, so what, almost whatever stories come out, the players probably aren't going to hear a lot about it. Mm, yeah. So that may end up playing in their favour. Another thing that may play into England's favour is that while we have uh, the oldest team. Uh, in the World Cup, Panama are in our group. Uh, we we have one of the youngest average teams uh, with some uh, with some new stars maybe to be made in the World Cup, including this lad, Ruben Loftus Cheek, and other fantastically named characters. Um, but I think we also have a, so we've got a lot of youth. We've got a, we're going to have a lot of energy, and we certainly have players that look based on the last two friendies in excellent physical shape. So I don't see any problems from that point of view. We have no excuses. A lot of our players, on average, have played less time, as you as you mentioned last uh, last week, Neil. So I think we've got players that physically should be in good shape, and regardless of the um, altitude or whatever that we have to play at, we certainly should have enough players to be able to maintain a decent level of fitness through the tournament. But on top of that, we have uh, a couple of players that are in fantastic form on the pitch as well so a lot is resting obviously on Harry Kane who is our man for this tournament like we've had a man for every other tournament for the last few years Um, whilst you say that what's quite nice is there are so many young other young exciting players that there's not actually much talk about Harry Kane um, which I think will benefit him everybody's talking about Rashford Ali um, Sterling you know those those exciting players Mm -hmm. so Kane's not not in the spotlight which hopefully will help him a bit I think it's unusual that England have a player of such quality that we don't even have to worry about his performance this is very rare like this this time round the reason people aren't talking about Harry Kane is because he's never really been out of form Harry Kane will always play well mm. it's because uh, he's world class exactly yeah he is the only player I think probably in that side uh, who is up there at, at that level but but Neil's absolutely right if you look around that squad there are also players that can do things and I thought it was fantastic that old rashers old bacon rashers stepped up in the friendly against Costa Rica and decided to give it a go he, almost he, in, sp- in spite of the way he's 
been treated at his club, which, yeah. which is very much in a bit part role. As you say, he just stepped up out of nowhere as if he'd been playing for England in that position his whole life. Well, I think the, the you know he'd had the uh, he'd had the leaden shackles of Jose Mourinho around his ankles for the last eight months, and now they've been released, and off he goes. You know, it's, I saw lots of chat. Um... Uh, about about you know will he have worked his way into Southgate's mind for that for for, for his first team squad? Um, lots of people more or less saying that they're, they're fairly sure that Sterling is going to be his first choice, but Rashford has certainly put his, put his hand up and made a very very good case for himself. But either way, how amazing is it that we will have either? Raheem Sterling or Marcus Rashford coming off the bench at the World Cup. Absolutely. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. That's exactly what you want in the World Cup. No, it really is. It's one of the few times that we're in a position where we have a good collection of talent. My, my only concern, and maybe you know, it could be down to a formation thing, that we may end up getting both of those lads starting the match because we do lack a central attacking player and maybe that player will be sacrificed to play those two guys and play a more dynamic uh, wing-based wing-based game I think the one thing that I, sorry go on sorry no it's, it's also so that, that argument about has Rashford worked his way into the 11 um, it, again it's a media thing um, focusing on the first 11 being you know getting in the first 11 is the most important thing but it's actually the, the players that are coming on are, are no less if not sometimes more important so I, I mean supporting your point really it doesn't matter which which one of any combination of players starts because that that's not the be all and end all of any game the starting 11 no exactly and i think we will have an extremely scary bench for a lot of players mainly with the pace that we can bring on because if you imagine the opportunity of bringing on rashford or sterling and jamie vardy those three players completely change our attack and maybe we will have a situation where we can move from a tighter central midfield diamond to a wider one by bringing on those players and having Vardy spinning around and, and, and making tracks in behind defences in the middle. I think one of the things that, that, that will benefit us as well is it's not it's not just in those kind of really exciting attacking players uh, where we've got some depth. Um, I think we saw from the Costa Rica game where where Southgate made 10 changes from the previous Nigerian game you know it was essentially a second string out there and they all performed really well and they all stepped up into their positions so I, I, I genuinely think that if if we have injuries we get knocks or suspensions or anything like that we have got people who can drop into position I think I think we're okay indeed and we, we get over the again with the golden generation thing an injury to, to Beckham or Rooney going into the tournament and, and the whole nation sort of the, the the mindset dips and all that kind of stuff when you're not reliant on a very few select players there's none of that you know one, as you say one player gets injured someone else comes in who's as good there's there's no issues around individual players not playing for certain games and so this last minute positivity around England uh, which I think has just been growing over the last few weeks uh, brings me to believe that, that out of this group I think England will top the group I think we'll get results against Panama and Tunisia, even if it's a bit of a stuttery start. And I think that game against Belgium will actually be the moment where England get a win against a big side and we and we start to realise that we actually have the makings of quite a good team. But I'm sure that Belgium will take that second spot. I'm, I'm, so we'll, I'm very... But the, um, the, t- the teams that, that our group plays in the next round are largely a crock of shite anyway. So <laughs> if, if, if we come second, it probably doesn't matter too much. Um but I think it's really helpful that we've got Belgium um, in the group. I think it's helpful that we've got a decent side. We've yes. got a lot of really good players yep. in our group. Um, just on the basis that that you you don't want to be running into the kind of 
ultimately probably the quarterfinals having not played anybody good if yeah, we quite. get that far right then Andy and so we move on to group H if you can round it out for us yeah and um, as as Shuri has so eloquently put this this group is um, is a crock of shit um, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've I dubbed group A the group of shit when I was going through them and then I got to group H and so I've had to dub this the, the group of shit <laughs> too um, the return of the group of shit yeah so uh, in this te- in this group we've got Poland Senegal uh, Colombia and Japan um, and one of the points Shuri was making uh, about England is the fact that we we, don't, we aren't going into the tournament heavily relying on a player um, um, I would say that that is the case for pretty much all of these teams. Um, they're, they're fairly threadbare squads, but they've both got they've all got rather a single player that they're going to have, to, or a single or a couple of players they're going to have to re- rely on. Um, starting off with Poland, who I think are probably the the favourites for for this group. Um, obviously, uh, Lewandowski is 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 their big their yeah. big hitter. He is the guy that they're going to be looking to. Um, in uh, he's, you know, he's the top scorer in the, the Bundesliga this year with 29 goals. It's the third time in five years that he's been the top scorer in the Bundesliga, which is an incredible amazing, record, really. Wow. And he's, he's actually had a bad season for him as well, <laughs> which, is, which is ridiculous. That, that is absolutely phenomenal. Um, in, in, in qualifying, Poland scored uh, 28 goals in their qualifying campaign. Lewandowski got 16 of those goals, wow. which, is, which is pretty impressive. Um, they, they've, got some, they've got a couple of other, a couple of other names, but they're not, they're, not, they're not big names. I mean, they've got um, Lukas Fabianski, the goalkeeper, the Swansea keeper, um, also on their books. They've got actually pretty good goalkeepers to be fair they've got Chesney as well mm. um, who plays for Juventus now former Arsenal yep. goalkeeper as well so they've got they've got some names in there um, they their squad is more or less the same as the squad that they took to Euro 90, uh, Euro 2016 rather uh, where they got to the quarterfinals which was a reasonable, reasonable return um, they lost on penalties to Portugal mm. um, as did pretty much everybody else <laughs> uh, um, uh, their qualifying their qualifying campaign uh, was they, I think they lost two games during that so they were fairly dominant uh, they, they scored a lot of goals as we've already said but they, they were a couple of games where they lost quite heavily as well including a 4-0 defeat to Denmark so they so it demonstrates that they're not completely in, in, indestructible and I think coming up against some decent opposition in the knockout stages they, they might come unstuck but mm. nevertheless I don't think there's much to worry them in this in this group yeah um, I was I was wondering how they end, how this group ended up so bad because obviously it, it is seeded the draw mm. um, and I looked at the world rankings and Poland are 10th in the world rankings somehow mm. I don't quite know how but they've obviously got some pedigree I guess largely down to, to Lewandowski but yeah, they so they are statistically the best team in the group. It's, it's because the FIFA World Rankings are a crock of bollocks. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, true. Um, That'll do it. Yeah, but um, so Sen- Senegal win their first World Cup since uh, for the first first time since two thousand and two. Um, interesting, uh, Aliu Cisse, um, who played for them, who was their captain rather in two thousand and two, is actually their manager now. Oh, so he's wow, a former okay. Birmingham City and yes. Portsmouth player, I think. Yeah, so yeah, uh-huh. so he's he's their manager now, which has got quite a nice story. Um, the in, they, I don't know if you remember this. They had a, quite an interesting story in their qualifiers because one of their their games against South Africa had to be replayed because the referee um, got banned for match match fixing. Um, oh, so just... they a um, uh, in the they they lost a game against South Africa two one. South Africa were given a penalty um, for a handball which just hit the guy's knees 
basically. Mm. So they had to replay it, and they won that game. That was quite early on in in, in the group stages, so that was it, it. Probably didn't have a massive effect. Um, obviously, their big player is uh, Sadio Mane. Um, he is going to be their their biggest outlet. I think they've they, they've got a couple of other players that you that we that we know about. Idris Gay, um, obviously the Everton player. Yeah. Um, and Armand Traore, remember him? Oh yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So he's um he's a, a left back for them. Um, he's actually currently at Cardiff on loan from Forest. Oh, I didn't know go. that. There we go. So um, yeah, so they've they've got they've got a couple of players that we've heard of, but um, I, I think I think one really big name is probably not going to be enough to carry them through. I think they're yeah. looking fairly threadbare. Um, Colombia, um, obviously their big name is is James Rodriguez. Um, they quarter finalists. In, in Brazil, yes, they were actually knocked, yeah. knocked out by Brazil in the last tournament. So they, you know, they've got some good pe- um, pedigree. Um, they've also got some decent players. They've got Falcao um, in Sanchez, the Spurs centre back, forty-two million pounds. Wow. They bought him from from Ajax. So they've got some players. They've also got uh, their coach Jose uh, Peckerman, who um, oh, yes, yeah, he took them to the quarterfinals last time round. He also took Argentina to the quarterfinals mm. back in two thousand six, where they yeah. were beaten by Germany on penalties. So um, he's, he's well known as a tactical brain in the game um, but he often comes under a lot of criticism for some slightly wild substitutions and stuff, uh, yes. so, yeah, yeah, um, so that, that, yeah. that'd be quite interesting to see but um, but more than anything I think they are going to they're going to be entirely reliant on Rodriguez and seeing what he can pull out of the bag so um, I think I think alongside Poland they, they're probably the favourites for the group I'd probably put those two through um finally just rounding them off with japan there's not really a lot to say about japan to be honest with you have they got some sort of like brazilian sounding players that have repatriated to japan uh no oh because they used that used to <laughs> yeah. be their trick didn't it yeah no they don't i mean big names in their their squad they've got um a kagawa former yeah. man U uh, uh midfielder um and also shinji uh, okazaki who's the uh leicester midfielder oh, he's a well. good player yeah he's good decent player. good player um, and um, their kind of talisman, if you like, is Kazuki Honda, um, former oh, Milan yes. striker um, slash midfielder. And so, but apart from those guys, they're they're pretty threadbare. They really, really stuttered, stuttered and stumbled their way through their qualifiers uh, to the point that their manager was sacked after their successful qualifying campaign. And they've only <laughs> just appointed their manager two months oh, ago. Wow. Okay. So they're going in with a brand new manager. So I don't expect much from them. Right, fair enough. Well, thank you very much. And that rounds out the groups. I don't know, uh, what have we got, boys? Because this is it now. We're, we're, it's about to happen. So, so you know, you know, say, your, say, say now or forever hold your peace. Have we got anything left before we head off into the World Cup? I've got a couple of interesting bits of trivia, um, which I stumbled across the past week. The first one amazed me. Then, then it's been quite sort of widely mentioned since. So you may well know the answer, which would be disappointing. So... In 2002, when England beat Argentina 1-0 at the World Cup and Michael Owen dived to get a penalty, the person who made the challenge on Michael Owen... Did we know who that was? It was Maurizio Pochettino. I didn't know that. No, I didn't until John mentioned it to me the other week. And it is brilliant. I I stumbled across that about three or four weeks ago. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it it came up because um, (laughs) Pochettino was, was questioned about uh, Deli Alley's diving, essentially. That's and he right. sort of smirked and, and recalled that story. <laughs> um, the other one, my other piece of trivia, I only figured this out this morning, so you better not know this. Um, <laughs> in, in the history of international football, only one team has never lost a competitive game to Brazil. Oh, wow. Do you know what that team is? 
So of all the teams Brazil have played in competitive internationals, only one of those teams has never lost against them. Is it? Uh, is it? They, they, they it, played four, won two, and drawn two. Oh, okay. Wow. Played four times. Ooh. I'm. Uh, I'm. The European team. Okay. Scotland. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, is this at World Cups or or in in? Um, I guess it must be competitive games if it's a European team against Brazil. It must be in World Cups, mustn't it? I'm okay. not sure when else they'd play. Yeah, good point. It, it's a team we've barely mentioned on this pod, so they're they're pretty. I'm going to say Austria. Not Austria. Mm. Are they are they at the World Cup this time around? No, they're not. Is it Netherlands? No, no. Um, far worse than the Netherlands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Luxembourg. I g- I'll give you a further clue. It's a Scandinavian side. Oh. Norway. Norway. It's Norway. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, that is a stat. Crikey. I like wow. that. Yeah, wow. Well, there we go. And on that, I'm afraid, gentlemen, the time is upon us. The time for talk is over. It's time to head over to Russia and it's time for the World Cup. So I'm going to ask you to say goodbye one more time before we get over there to Russia. And I'm going to ask you to hand out your socials. Starting with you, Andy. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Andy, and I'm Johnny Biscuits on Twitter. Jono, I, I don't think I've got any handles. No, oh, I think you're at Spunky John on Instagram. Yeah, I am. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, and Neil. Hello, I'm Neil. I'm not on Twitter. I'm Neil near Oxford on Instagram. There you go. Instagram? And you... What's Instagram? Is that a new one? That's the one Instagram. for old people. <laughs> yeah, I'm on that then. <laughs> nice, good job. And you can find us on at WorldyPod on Twitter. You can find us on uh, WorldyPod on Instagram. You can also email us at WorldyPod at gmail.com or you can find our Facebook group on facebook.com forward slash WorldyPod. And please come back next week where we will be deep into... The World Cup in Russia 2018. So, OMG. OMG. And we will see you next week. I, I mean, I just, I just think we're probably going to win. <laughs>